0: Hi Lacrosse fans, welcome back to episode number 27 of the Sticks and Picks Lacrosse Podcast presented by Lacrosse Unlimited. Lacrosse Unlimited has provided the best equipment, apparel and lacrosse footwear since 1990. Be sure to check out their website at lacrosseunlimited.com for all your lacrosse needs. I'm your host Will Petchnig, alongside co-host Jake Fox. In today's episode we talk to New York type player and Loyola University alum Ryan Fournier. He talks about growing up playing for the Gloucester Griffins Minor Lacrosse Association, his university career at Loyola, and what it's like to live out his childhood dream to play in the National Lacrosse League. He also talks about what he's up to in Tulsa, Oklahoma with Callum Crawford and their Impulse Lacrosse Club. He grew up playing lacrosse in Ottawa, Ontario for the Gloucester Griffins Minor Lacrosse Association. He's a Minto Cup champion with the Six Nations Arrows in 2015. He then went on to be a two-time captain at the Hill Academy and then committed to Loyola University in Maryland, becoming one of the top 2A long stick midfielders in college lacrosse. He was the 12th overall pick in the talented 2017 NLL draft going to Vancouver. He is currently a member of the New York Riptide of the National Lacrosse League and a member of the Connecticut Hammerheads of the Major League Lacrosse. Please welcome to the podcast, Ryan Fournier.
1: What's up guys, how you doing? This is a first for us. This is our first semi-live podcast. So I've been living in Oklahoma for the last two and a half months living with Ryan. So we're actually side by side on the couch as we do this and you know, and Will's back in Canada.
0: Yeah, crazy times for sure with all this COVID stuff. It's about time it kind of ends. And uh, it's nice to see you there. Force doing so well. And uh, we're excited to have you on here.
2: Appreciate
0: it. So we're going to start to uh, get right into things here and kind of talk about how you got involved in the game of lacrosse. I know it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the biggest sport in Ottawa back when we were younger. But uh, how did you get involved in the game?
2: Uh, I got in- involved pretty early. I think I was four when I started playing. Um, but just, uh, you know, small town, uh, community, uh, I think the soul base, for those who know who they are, got me involved and, uh, uh, picked up a stick four years old Never looked back, um, shout out to, uh, the Denoyes for being my first coach ever. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just kept playing from there. loved it.
1: The new one. It's funny because you and me have talked about auto lacrosse a lot. It's changed a lot since especially, well, you left a little earlier than I did, but, we look back at Ottawa Lacrosse now and when you played, what are some of the big things that you've noticed? I know you haven't been around a lot, but you've noticed a big development, I think. Yeah, the biggest, like, obviously there's some some
2: boys that are, are getting some notoriety and well-deserved now, um, but from even looking back further, uh, when I was in minor, like, you know, novice and, and stuff like that, I mean, there was, there, the lacrosse is very low quality and, and now I think starting from you know, I don't even know what the lowest age group is now, but like know what Novice and Bannon, all the associations are developing high quality teams. So it's not just guys who stick with it who end up choosing the over hockey and, and end up going through the junior ranks and leaving Ottawa without are finding success now. It's actually everybody in the associations as a whole that, that are really becoming competitive. And I think that's the biggest difference is like from front to back, from the youngest to the
1: oldest, all the way through. There's some good competitive lacrosse. Ottawa. When you were playing for Gloucester, you guys were mostly B and C, kind of like us, right? <laughs> C, D? <laughs> My last year minor, I was the last place in C and in provincials. I was, we should have been B, but our two teams were D, so we were in our last <laughs> No, it's a little different. Uh, now, we're, most Ottawa teams are now A and B. Um, what were some of the coaches you had growing up that kind of had a big influence on your game today in minor? I mean, I think everything, I, I, everybody. I think
2: uh, every situation you're at, you, you can take
1: something through it, and, I mean, obviously, I didn't
2: quit at any point playing. So every coach had some kind of an impact, whether that's you know pushing me more physically. I'm looking back to you know someone like uh, Coach Hartley, who literally you know pre-game, pre-practice, off-ice training every practice, and and it got, but it made us work harder, right? And that kind of became my mo as I got older. So you know, got to shout him too. But then you look, you know, Steph Collins and. And the Denoyes and, and I don't want to leave anybody out, but uh, I think uh, the three of us had some of the same coaches growing up. But uh, you know, they were the ones showing up and put practice on, so I uh, gotta take the cap.
1: One thing that you did a lot too, that really, I think you said you were the second Gloucester player to make a Team Ontario team, right? Something along those Something lines. Something along those lines, yeah. And you played for five different teams. You and Will were really kind of like the first kids. From the Ottawa region that kind of made that an option obviously me and Aaron Forrester uh, would make it later on and now we're seeing more and more kids um, my brothers played team Ontario at one point I know Austin Lamoureux um, Isaiah Weeks I think have all played team Ontario at some point um, how big of a step was that for your game coming from Ottawa playing Gloucester which we've all admitted and I think anyone who saw lacrosse at that point in Ottawa wasn't a top level to go into play with that level of guys. How much did that develop your game going forward?
2: Uh, a lot. I honestly think my first team Ontier experience was in PUE with uh, Coach Keenan. And uh, I was actually in a really bad car accident um, two weeks before the tournament and that break in breaking my arm and getting a big scar on my forehead and whatnot. So when I caught back in there, um, they actually brought in another whoopee guy to take my spot temporarily if I couldn't play. So by the time I got back, I missed the practices. I missed all the, all the X's and O's. And if you know Coach Keenan, I coached the PB team, the NL team. And so they were all, you know, sharp. And so I ended up going out the back door and playing defense um, for my first national tournament. And uh, I mean, that's kind of been my role ever since. So, um, you know, the biggest jump was, one, playing in a different position that I was used to. Um, but two, getting exposure to those guys who now we have relationships with and we've played uh, with for years. But uh, uh, guys like Devin Shore and uh, Scott Lawton back then and uh, a whole bunch of guys that
1: the Richies and stuff like that that were just so
2: talented with ball. and Anyways, it's, uh,
1: yeah, it was quite a joke. Will can talk to us too because I think, Will, you played with him as well. You guys had a whole lot, including yourself, that went hockey from that group.
0: Yeah, I mean, even in, in the 95 age group, we had uh, Nick Ritchie, uh, Hunter Garland. Uh, there's Brody Milne was a first-round OHL pick. Brandon Robinson, first-round OHL pick. So many guys, I think five guys from our Bantam National Championship team went in the first round of the OHL draft, and then there was me, the Crumb, in the third round. So I was, I, I was the only one out of those six OHL draft picks that came back and played in our midget year. So, um, yeah, it was definitely a, a lot of cool, a lot of – great hockey players there as well but I mean uh you touched on it great there Ryan was saying the experience and the the friendships that you meet there and just opening the door more for auto area lacrosse I think it's something truly special and going kind of into that midget year there um you ended up playing junior b as well uh can you kind of talk about uh that experience and playing junior b as a midget age player yeah, it was, uh,
2: it was something, uh, it was obviously, uh, experience playing against some older, bigger boys and, and whatnot, but, uh, uh, the junior B team wasn't too, too great back then. And, uh, you know, my brother was on it and they had kind of a, uh, tough MO going on and it wasn't huge, like skill-based across. So I found myself on the bench for a lot of the, the, the third periods and when it got a little out of hand, but, uh. It definitely taught me how to play against the bigger boys, and, and once you made that jump, um, the next year for sure, like in the first year of junior, it made it a little bit easier.
1: Do you remember your first junior B game? No. Who it was against? I have no idea. No, you have no no. Uh, I do not remember.
2: Really? Probably, yeah, that's probably shaking
1: my boots. Because <laughs> well, I remember mine like it was like because we kind of went through that same path of starting playing junior early, and I think my first one was in Ganalagi. As a fourteen-year-old or something like that, was <laughs> the scariest thing ever. Yeah, I remember um, Brendan. Was it Brendan O'Neill? Uh, played
2: for the PN? Alex O'Neill. Alex O'Neill. Sorry, he came off a pick, and uh, my dad still reminds me to this day. He heard me from the crowd scream like a little girl he came around this pick to try to hit me and ended up missing and hit the boards. But it was like one of my first games, and he was this monster wearing this. You know, had all these stories about um, had Woody out, and I just was like, oh, no, does this across the next level? I don't know if um, it's for me,
1: but uh, we got over it. Uh You end up making your jump to junior A the first year uh, of junior eligibility, and you actually went to Austin, which I think was only a one- or two-year team. Uh, talk about that experience, you know, going to play on the res and playing, uh, playing with – I think you played with Lyle, Miles, and a whole bunch of other guys who obviously are big now. Yeah, I think that's the biggest – Biggest thing I take away is like I got to play with some true greats. Like
2: everything, everybody considers Lyle one the greatest now. Um, he's still playing, which is amazing. But uh, you got to just see that jump in skill and how how confident and calm they were with the ball. And I remember Shane Francis playing the point of their power play with all those names with a Woody, and it was just so impressive to see the skill. But uh, a little nervous. I remember doing high kicks in the first day of tryouts for stretching. And I was trying to do it so well, I took myself right off my feet and landed on my ass right in front of uh, everybody else. But uh, yeah, it was, it was quite the experience. I mean, nothing, there's nothing
1: like playing the turtle dome. So, um, pretty fun. There's one story that you knew was going to come up. And, Will, I don't know if you know this. Um, Ryan was left in Peterborough on a road trip. While he was playing with Arkansas, I'll let you kind of tell how that went. Yeah, we were on like a
2: three-game road trip. Uh, Peterborough, I forget who else. I mean, maybe we had a day off, and then the next day was against Orangeville in Orangeville. So we are on this big, long road trip, and it was a late-night game, played against Peterborough. We ended up going to Pizza Hut right after the game for some, some food. Ended up going to take number two in the bathroom uh, when they were when they're paying for it. And they come out, and everyone's gone. Uh, I thought they were playing a joke. So I start doing laps around the restaurant, a lap around the block, trying to find the bus. Everyone's giggling. They were nowhere to be found. So uh, they ended up just taking off and, and moving on down to Orangeville. Uh, luckily I knew some guys on the Peterborough team. Uh, I think it was Nate White, uh, Millie and Wiz uh, all end up uh, picking me up and we ended up hitting the town for a night and then uh, staying over with a couple of the guys in the house and uh, I think somebody, one of the GMs or somebody for Akososny was on the way up to Orangeville two days later. So they ended up scooping me in and up making the last trip and playing in the Orangeville game. But it is a story for sure.
1: Uh, after that, um, obviously Akososny uh, was no longer a team and there was a dispersal draft and you ended up getting picked up by the beaches. Um, again, you're kind of a, I guess as we go through this, a little bit of a junior suitcase. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, what was it like playing for the beaches? Obviously, you had some really good coaches when you were there as well um, who came through. And um, I think,
2: was Clark a coach then? No, know? Uh, it was Brucey Codd, <laughs> um, who obviously is amazing, and um, uh, Merrick Thompson, who was actually in my house, Don, at the Hill Academy at the time. So I was living with them. Um, so it just made sense, right, uh, staying there for the summers. And I know I wanted to play ball. And, I um, couldn't be doing that at home anymore with the Sauce Fulton. So it was the next best option. And they ended up taking me and uh, uh, commuting with Merritt back and forth to the game. So that was, you know, my first time that I really got some, some you know, next, next level coaching. I had some with Keenan in Ontario and stuff like that. But like full, four full seasons worth with Bruce on the end, it was something special and definitely a learning curve at, uh, for me. At trying to just pick up the knowledge of the game, but it uh, ended up being awesome. Had
1: a great experience there. After Toronto, we then come to arguably the biggest junior lacrosse trade in Ottawa history. Um, It's very rare, let alone that Ottawa and the Pyns do anything together at the junior level. Um, It's gone a lot better now, obviously, but back then there was a bitter, bitter rivalry. And you were part of—I can't even think of how many pieces were part of that trade. (laughs) (laughs) how'd that go down i don't know
2: uh what went the other way to be honest it doesn't really matter but uh it was uh i I wanted to continue playing you know high level lacrosse and learning mostly after two years at the beaches i just knew i had to continue to learn the game Mm -hmm. um and with being away at school at that point coming home and working was kind of necessary for me so uh I knew coach uh well, coach Callum at the time, you know I Callum, uh was uh taking over the junior B team. So I figured, you know, let's jump on there, somebody that knows the game well, the highest level that can teach me. Um so they end up, you know, making the trade and I end up uh switching associations for the first time to the to the Knights and, and uh learning from him which you know was beneficial for me just I, I wasn't gonna go home and play. Um just to play. I wanted to keep
1: getting better as my goals were kind of continuing to look And that is the kind of best option for me at that time. I think from what I remember, I know Forrester was a part of the trade, Aaron, and I think Justin Gachuk might've been. Yeah, a part of the Justin Kachuk,
0: well. Ulysses Toulouse, um, Eric Albert. And there's, I think there's two other Nepean kids. I can't think of them right now, but. That was such a – it was crazy. And Gloucester, actually, it worked out for both teams. It worked out great. Aaron had a 100-point season. And I think Ulysses had a close to 100-point season there too. And uh, you obviously helped out tremendously as well. So I think it worked out for both teams.
1: So that was kind of, I guess, your first introduction to really playing for Callum, becoming buddies with Callum. Uh, but you decided after one year you wanted to make one last run. And a goal of everyone is to win a Minto. So you actually ended up going to Six Nations. How did you end up in Six? And then uh, tell us about that season and uh, winning the Minto.
2: I was actually at a, at a little bit of a shindig, a little bit of a party uh, at the time, and I got a late night call um, from Six, and you know asking if I wanted to play. And it was pretty early in the season. I think there were only four or five games in the season. Wanted me to come down. We had talks the year before, but I committed to going back to Ottawa and playing. So. Uh, I kind of blew him off that year um, and then going and winning the championship in 14. So looking back, it was kind of, but uh, yeah, for the 15 years I was drinking a little bit and uh, ended up making the call to Calum and just be like, man, like I don't know if I can turn this down two years in a row. Like I'm really, you know, everyone wants to do it. Everyone wants to go play on, on, in six and, and take a run at it. So uh, he understood. And um, I think, if I was on a two-way or not, but I, I might have kept playing uh, B for a little while, but anyways, I ended up making my way down to six and pulling my hamstring in the first game I played with them, and uh, didn't actually play for them again until I think uh, a couple games before the, uh, the playoffs, um, just to get my eligibility in, but uh, yeah, I ended up having an awesome time down there, living with some new guys and, and meeting some new uh, buddies that are in the, the game, and uh, ended up taking it,
1: taking it all over the Peterborough yeah, you beat us in the Ontario Finals <laughs> that year. Fantastic. You also got your – actually, I'm not going to mention the fight because I got knocked out. I got knocked out at <laughs> <laughs> that same game. Uh, yeah, that was a fun uh, series. Um, one thing that kind of gets uh, forgotten about that series too is the fact that you guys have to wear OHL practice jerseys for a game, which I always love bringing up because I think it's the funniest thing ever.
2: <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. I think we were at earbarn and we end
1: up forgetting
2: our, our jerseys or something like that. And it was just – not what you want to be showing up to against a Peterborough team and just starting off on the, bat, on the wrong foot. But, hey, we got the job done. I think we only dropped one to you guys, and I think we ended up taking most of those fights in that game. So, uh, you know, I'll take it.
0: Yeah, congrats. one <laughs> I remember Ian McKay's quote from that game wearing those OHL jerseys. He said he said something along the lines of he is so happy he finally got to play a game in the OHL, and I thought that was pretty funny. So <laughs> for, uh, We're a bomber. Oh, it's bomber! Perfect. Same thing. We're, we're we're gonna get into a little fun here. We're gonna have a word association game. So basically, Jake's gonna give you a word, and you gotta think of a, a lacrosse player or someone involved in game lacrosse that first comes to mind. Ready? Oh yeah. <laughs> Just a heads up, Ryan. I think is the first guest who's actually seen these
1: words in advance because Ryan was scared that he wouldn't be able to think of anything on the on the fly. So <laughs> we gave him a little heads Not up. Really quick, but I was good, so I needed a little bit. Ryan's had a 24 hour head start. Uh, so first one's goat, greatest of all time. Uh, Gary. uh next one's a leader. Uh, I've gotta go with Danny
2: Mac, leader right now. Our New Yorker type team just does it different, and does it really well. Uh,
1: next word, sniper. Outside shooter, we're going with sniper. Doby, just
2: from a couple of years ago, two years ago or last year, whatever it was, it just went off. And he just doesn't mess.
1: Uh, finisher. Uh, Inside, yeah. Shout out to my boy Leezy Ryan
2: Lee. It's uh, been killing it ever since made it to Lee. He was on our Minto team too. Uh, went to the hills as well, so I got to know him pretty well. But that last showing in the MLL was just something different, catching, finishing, everything. So. So Lee. Uh, playmaker. Callum Crawford. <laughs> no, honestly, he's, uh, he's he's different. He makes everybody around him better. So,
1: yeah, for sure. Uh, detail-oriented. Detail-oriented. Uh, actually,
2: an old teammate of mine from Loyola who now coaches at Army, Justin Ward. He was truly one of those coach players. Like, he's probably the only one that I could have guaranteed to be successful in that kind of realm. So, uh, Justin Ward.
1: Uh Waterbug.
2: Waterbug. This is a little different one. I couldn't think of anybody, but uh I'll say uh Nisha Moore, if you know who he is from uh, New England. He's uh just he played on my face off team a little bit when I was taking faces there and he was just always getting in there and you know.
1: Uh Stone Hands. It's never good. <laughs> getting the shot
0: You can't say yourself. Um, no,
2: hey, I don't <laughs> nah, pretty close. Um, I'll have to say, and I love him to death, but uh, Brett Manny, my old cat, he uh, he's a wonderful human, great player. He just uh, he just doesn't have the softest hint. Anything,
1: so. uh, agitator. Agitator. Now this doesn't have to be a specific like person, That it could be someone that just always got under your skin or someone who could do that. It's or... under my skin, I'll just
2: say the porters out, in, uh, out west uh, have nothing against most people, I just can't stand them on the floor, but uh, they do their job and uh, push them, but uh, Tyson Bell someone who sticks out to me, uh, he's always getting under everyone's skin, you always notice him on the floor too, so he's just uh, doing his job too.
1: I remember one time playing against, when he was at Brampton, we were running to the bench. And all of a sudden, it feels like I'm carrying someone, and I turn around, and Belsey's grabbing my jersey as I run to the event. <laughs> uh, next word's team. Team.
2: I don't know. Maybe I'll show all my Tmos uh, back. I we end up having a consistent group there for a while with uh, you know, like guys like Shane Simpson, um, Jake Withers, uh, uh, Ryan Keenan. Shanksy, a bunch of guys that just, you know, have all kind of continued to play and, and are finding success, and it was just always a lot of fun playing with those guys.
1: And finally, the last word, because it's my favorite word in the English dictionary, like I say every time, jackass. Jackass. And it's in the most endearing way. Yeah. Um,
2: yeah, love him. Uh, Zach Erwires. He was my roommate in college for a little while, and uh, I do love him just i looked up what jackass means mm-hmm. definition before the podcast and i think he could have his picture there so that's
0: of ours that's great we haven't heard that one yet so that's uh, that's a new one for us we're, we're gonna go back to uh, hill academy we talked about it a little bit earlier but uh again being from ottawa there wasn't much field lacrosse i know you were in it more than uh most guys because a lot of us did the hockey and lacrosse i know you're doing some hockey too, but uh, you ended up going to the Hill Academy. Uh, how'd that become an option for you?
2: Uh, became an option. I think uh, it ended up in uh, Queen or reaching out. Um, I don't know if they knew me from the Ontario circuit or ha- however it happened, however they got my contact, but they ended up reaching out and just asking if I'd like to go, and I never really thought about it at that time, but you no, know, family is going through some stuff, and I just wanted to get out of Ottawa at that point, so – um, once it became a, an option, I jumped all over it. There was no question. Um, so yeah, I think they just found me to be honest. Uh,
1: we talked about a little bit because obviously I went to the Hill too. We had a little bit like you left the year before I got there. Yeah. We had a little bit of crossover with our, obviously Brody, Patrick, you know, those guys were the staples. It's their school. Um, who were some of the coaches there that really influenced your game and kind of changed you because. You were at LSM College, but actually you were playing kind of O slash two-way midi at the Hill.
2: Yeah, I uh, yeah, I went to Loyola as, as a short stick, the two-way midi. But uh, uh, yeah, Queener was there and he, he had a big impact on me because he was a smaller guy too. And I know he had some success at Georgetown. He was kind of just taught me how to kind of play the defensive end while running the floor transition or field, I guess and uh, playing offense, too, as a, as a smaller guy, just using my speed, using kind of what you have. You don't have to be just like anybody else, kind of be your own know, player out there. And he was kind of similar to me in that way and style. So he kind of helped me a lot. And obviously living with Merrick Thompson, I got really close with him. In the beaches. So he had a big impact on me, but more as a uh, a mentor, as a, as just as much as a coach. He kind of geared, guided me the right ways, going into college and making sure I was all ready to go once I got there. So uh, both those guys had, had a huge impact on me.
1: When people think about the Hill, obviously, they think of the massive amount of success that players have had coming from there, going to college and going to the pro. If you look at their list, obviously, it goes pages and pages deep of players who have had huge impacts. How big of an influence was the Hill for you getting ready for college? Yeah, it's it's... I, I would put it up against any
2: school out there in the world for getting ready for college across. It, it, you know, they, they make you do the strength and conditioning, uh, and they do it properly. Um, they make you practice every day and practice against guys, you know, 40, 50 guys that have the same goal in mind and the same kind of path laid out for them. So uh, the talent there pushes you, and every, everybody's there for the same reason. So uh, it just kind of fosters that kind of um, atmosphere that you want to be around. So. Uh, I mean, it, it did everything for me. I, f- I thought I got uh, a little more prepared than a lot of guys. Uh, also taking that PG year there helps too, uh,
1: get a little, a little bit, a little stronger. Um, but yeah, they, they do an awesome job. One thing that I think people often forget about you um, is the fact that you weren't committed to Loyola at the start. You were originally committed to Sacred Heart. So let's go through the entire process of how you originally ended up a Sacred Heart and then how the flip to Loyola ended up coming.
2: Yeah, I played a couple seasons or summers, I guess. And I don't even think I played the whole summers, but a couple tournaments here and there with uh, Edge. Um, and we had a really uh, strong team. I and mean, at the time, we had guys committed everywhere. And I remember Shane Simpson getting committed to UNC. And, and it was kind of like the last tournament of the summer. And we we're going into, I think, our 11th year, uh, Grade 11, and I just felt kind of falling behind. And obviously, now looking back, coaching and mentoring kids like I wasn't at all. But when I got the offer from Sacred Heart um, financially, it was great, and I didn't have to do a PG year. And uh, everybody coaches everybody just said, Take it, take it, take it. Offers aren't coming. Classes above you are full. Um, I think it was a little bit of misinformation. Uh, but a little bit of just excitement. I did go visit. I did like it. I thought it was a great place. I, I was confident I could have done playing time right off the bat, things like that. So I was excited for it. But um, once the Hill Academy option came up and I knew I was going to go there, I knew I was going to do the post-grad year, um, it wasn't really – it wasn't re- like more doors open when you go to the Hill Academy. So uh, I, I basically folded my hand and, and went back into the deck and see what I could get and uh, ended up working out
1: for him. Yeah, I did. I was going to say, how did the Loyola thing come around?
2: Uh, basically, Brody, I think he took me out of class at one point and had a little combo with me and basically just said, hey, we've been talking to Loyola coaches for you. At that point, Reed Acton had already been there. Um, they were sending Zach Hairwires there. Uh, he was still at school at that point with me, but um, basically said, uh, we got this Tully tournament coming up. They're coming up to see you better be ready so I end up actually having like going off and I, I don't say that like because I don't go off for goals that often in a field but I ended up having a really good tournament and um committed from that from that one tournament with them so they like what they saw and it was just that opportunity and again the preparation that kind of held this for you that kind of put me in that right spot to make it happen and without that I mean, obviously I wouldn't have, they wouldn't have even know who I was or would have seen me so they kind of put you in the right spot
0: I mean, I'm, I'm the first one to admit that I know very little about field lacrosse, but if you have to choose between a Sacred Heart and a Loyola, I think you'd be a little crazy to say no to Loyola with all their history and everything. So, uh, now getting into Loyola here where, uh, you were actually a short stick and then you changed to LSM. Um, when did that happen? That happened right away or did that kind of just, you fought, fell into that role?
2: I kind of, well, going into the season, obviously they came, they came and saw me a little bit more in high school and they saw me taking face-offs at that point. I think they started to understand who they were actually getting. Um, and, uh, so once I got there, they had a, had a our second poll go down, um, a week before our first game freshman year against Virginia. So I'd played the whole fall, uh, as a short stick. And, um, guy goes down i don't i think our number three just you know we just wasn't going to cut it at that point um and so they just kind of yelled out at practices anybody played pole and a year before i tried it for team Canada um with a pole so i was like I, I found a little bit they literally stood me at center field and coach all the coaches stood beside each other and then whipped ground balls at me and i picked them up and threw them back and picked them up and threw them back and i'm like all right you're playing lsm next game and this is a week away so It was quite the flip, but I ended up doing all right and uh, just running around out
1: there, and I didn't put it
2: down after that, so I
1: ended up working out. No, it wasn't a bad four years for you. Four years, basically, as a starter, uh, team captain your senior year, final four appearance. I think you guys won, what, three Patriot Leagues out of the four years you were there. Uh, What were some of the big memories that obviously look back and, you see Loyola and those are kind of things that stand out to you. Yeah. The the final four run is definitely, you know,
2: something special, obviously just the attention the team was grabbing at that point and the excitement in the air. And I remember, you know, that was the year that uh, Pat Spencer and and Stover came in and they kind of, you know, a dominant attackman like that. And that goal that stands on his head kind of changes things for you guys. And I mean, we had some tough games to get to that point. It wasn't like we were just steamrolling teams. We weren't like, out of this world great, but we just put it together when it needed to be. I remember going into, to play Bucknell in like the semifinals of the Patriot League and did like double OT and they hit Stover's helmet with a shot and whatever. And it was just like, it was, it was a tough road to get there. But once we were there, it was just one of those things I'll we'll never forget. You know, families all making the trip down for, for the, playing the Eagle stadium and stuff like that. So it was, it was pretty special, but
1: that one sticks out for sure. What was your favorite game on schedule every year for you at Loyola? What was your big game? I know I should say hop right now but
2: since I went like two and one or three and one against them or something like that I can't remember it was just steam on them every time so uh, I never lost to Hopkins when I was on the field uh, so that one wasn't really huge on my schedule but um, I like uh, the Virginia game to be honest Virginia was always our first game of the season so always your first game of the season you get up a little bit and- My first game ever, the first game with a pole actually, too, we were down by nine going into the fourth. and ended up coming back and taking the lead. They scored with, like, a second left, um, and then ended up winning in overtime. So we ended up losing that game. But it was just one of the wildest lacrosse games, not only playing in, but witnessing, too. It was my first ever college game with the wrong stick in my hands, and it was just – so after that, that Virginia game at the start of the year was always just, like, something – it was
1: just different, a special. Uh, first off kids earmuffs go fuck yourself <laughs> <laughs> um, but you ended up being eighth all times in, in ground balls for Loyola uh, which obviously anytime you kind of cement yourself in the uh, in the record books in some sort of way is obviously an honor uh, what was a big key to you kind of for kids who might listen to this to ground balls I know a lot of it was wing play and stuff like that but what were some of the keys that you thought made you uh, one of the better players and I hate kind of mm-hmm. pumping your tires here so much uh but what made you so good at loose balls in college what do you think was a big step for you kind of developing that
2: uh well that's always kind of been part of my game you know it's not like I'm a, I'm a finesse pretty player out there i just run and, and jump and roll and pick up balls and stuff like that so it's it's not pretty ever but uh i actually didn't know i was eight belt, down it's kind of fun um but uh no i remember joe fletcher that might not be a household name but for me it is he was a he was a senior when i was a freshman and he was All-American, Team USA, Uh, he's he's an amazing, amazing defenseman. And he took me aside one time, and I was doing all right, but he just said, hey, one of my secrets is look at the ball. And I know that sounds so silly to say look at the ball, but when there's a scrum and you're on the perimeter, or it's locked up in the face-off guy's stick, and, and you're on the perimeter, or even if you see it bouncing and rolling, if you truly stare at the ball, it'll tell you where it's going. Um, and it, it, again, it sounds silly when I tell a lot of kids that, but it's truly one thing that once you focus in and don't worry about the sticks that are swinging around and don't worry about anybody else and you truly stare at that ball, it just seems to come to you. So, uh, that's kind of the one thing I tell anybody.
0: Yeah, no, that's certainly, uh, that's an amazing accomplishment. I think it kind of goes back to your Ottawa days where you had to work for everything that you got and. Uh, it's just kind of your hard work's always been there. So, we're going to go back to some more fun here with the teammate challenge. And uh, you can throw guys under the bus here if you want. This is usually one of my favorite parts here uh, of all the podcasts. So, basically, Jake's going to give you a question, and you got to uh, think of a teammate who first comes to mind.
1: Again, he has a heads up for this, just so everyone knows. It's no advantage here. Who has the worst style on and off the floor? We'll start with on the floor
2: on the floor so I bet you a lot of people would say me when I cut my leggings at one point I wore pink shoes at one point that I didn't think were actually going to look look like pink but um (laughs) I can't even maybe Mac Mitchell Joe Mac Mitchell for the worst style on the floor he's just you know shorts don't never fit right long he's long um off the floor I don't know. Maybe I'll throw suits under the bus because he's always tripping everybody else's suits, so I guess the name suits is kind of funny, but yeah, he uh, <laughs> he, is, he doesn't have the greatest style in the world either, so I'll
1: defend everybody else. Uh, least favorite matchup, boxing field, so let's start with box lacrosse. Uh, box, there's so many, and Dixon,
2: uh, Lyle, I mean, anybody that's big. Athletic can kind of bounce, you know, as that has their center of gravity down. Uh probably Lyle. I think Lyle's the most unguardable human out there. Um so I'd say him for Boxer Field, uh, a name that I don't know, some people might know him, but Joe lacasio He was a number one midi from Maryland for a little while. He's he's small dude, probably like five, six, but as fast as lightning with a right and a left. So he's my like ultimate like Terrible matchup,
1: and uh, he, he stuck it to me a couple times when we played him. and He's in the PLL now, I think. Who is the most likely man to become president or prime minister that you've played with? Uh, John
2: Rannigan. He's the you only, know, like, his personality is so outgoing, and he's so confident, so direct with what he wants and what he says, and he kind of has that high energy to go do it. So I can see uh, Rannigan making a good push for uh, president.
1: Uh, biggest prankster.
2: Biggest prankster. Uh, Jay Trey Powell. He's an old buddy of mine at Loyola, and he'd always just, you know, you'd find your shoes, you know, where they shouldn't be. And shoelaces tied when you're done and, and sticks in the shower and things like that. So he was always just trying to cause some crap. Uh, best roommate, uh, best roommate. worst roommate would be easier to do. Um, all right, worst roommate, go.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: Buki. No one can sleep with Buki. He's got some pretty good storm going on, so Buki is up there. Uh, best roommate, um, I don't know, all my college roommates were pretty pretty good. They kept pretty tidy. Um, shout out to my rope unit. Well, my uh, d middies and poles. we all lived together, and all those guys are pretty awesome. Uh, I honestly expected Gibby, Tyson Gibson. Uh, I love
1: Tice, but uh, it's been a, you know, one year, I can't get my best roommate, uh, not yet. Uh, most likely, uh, who would most likely be a good coach if they decide to coach? Someone you can see after their playing career, kind of jump into a coaching role and be successful.
2: Yeah, it's got to be somebody that, you know, obviously loves the game and, and has kind of the X's and O's down. Um, I could see somebody like Ryan Keenan obviously following his dad's footsteps, but even playing with him, he plays with such like, kind of a poise and confidence to him, and I think he knows the game better than anything else he does. Uh, so I could see, obviously that's kind of a cheating answer, but I could see uh, R.K. going. Uh,
1: best athlete you've ever played with?
2: Uh, Pat Spencer. Uh, <laughs> 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 ever No,
1: he's, uh, he was yeah, obviously amazing. He's 6'4", uh size 14
2: feet, and moves like he's 5'2". He's just... He moves with a kind of basketball fluidity and his head is always up. And he's, he's just confidence with a stick and stuff. And obviously, he's trying to make that NBA push now. Uh, NBA. Um, that's what he's trying to do. So
1: he's hes different. He's just on another level than anybody I've ever seen. Uh, best fighter or toughest guy you've ever played with? Played with? Yes. Andrew Cere. Next question. <laughs> yeah, I think most people would say that. Uh, best Dressing room DJ. Uh, Danny Lomas. I know that's a popular answer right now around the Riptide community, but uh, yeah, let's keep them doing it. Uh, Most likely to become a WWE wrestler. (laughs) I only know one guy who likes the WWE, and that
2: is you, Foxy. So I will say you grow that beard a little bit. And uh, I don't know, can you get to like 350 or something like that and then start running around? You'd be a monster. The
1: next big show. uh finally most likely to be a country music star you have no prep for this one this one was just that
2: yeah it was i'm wearing a camel hat right now i think i could be doing pretty good but i'm wearing a camel uh, hat too uh, (laughs) um they gotta have the face for it right it's not all about unless you're luke combs you gotta come with a full package so um Maybe Wags keep it in the Riptide kind of thing going on. John Wagner, he's a well-dressed man, and uh, he's got the
1: face for it. Don't know if he can sing a left way. <laughs> I remember his brother doing a little singing for the NLL one time. Okay, he, uh, if they share it, maybe he can. Uh, yeah,
0: little brother duo. I think uh, I think you don't have to keep your head up anymore for camp after throwing Suits under the bus, but then you save yourself with uh, toughest player. So I think Suits will be happy with that one. So speaking of that, we did a lot of NL talk here. Uh, we're going to get into your NL career now. Uh, can you take us back to draft day and kind of talk to us about what that day was like and uh, what your nerves were like on that day?
2: Yeah, obviously I was nervous. It, it sounds um, silly now, looking back at it and where I went. But like, you don't honestly know if you're ever going to even get drafted. Like, I, I knew Vancouver was pretty interested, but um, everybody says everybody's interested, so you never really know. And and luckily I, I went. And, um, but it was just it was just the best experience. Honestly, the best thing about that was seeing all my buddies that I played with growing up all kind of achieve what they wanted to. Again, Courier know, was there and Wiz was there and, and Shanks and Finale. And all these guys I played with for, for so long. It, it, it honestly um, was really special watching them go. I got to do it with a, a couple of uh, – or share it with a couple of the Ottawa guys, Keely and uh, Finley. Um, so that was uh, that was pretty awesome to do it with them as well. And, uh, so, yeah, it was just – it was quite the night. But um, just having everybody around uh, made it kind of a little bit smooth, a little bit easier, and a little bit more special.
1: Uh, we mentioned suitcase earlier. Uh, the only reason I bug you is because you call yourself it or else I wouldn't <laughs> say anything, but um, your first year obviously dropped by Vancouver end up uh, playing, I think you played uh, six or seven games at the first half of the season. Uh, what was that jump like from the NLL kind of getting used to the travel getting used to, you know, you were on the East coast having to fly out to Vancouver for games, stuff like that. Uh, was it everything you dreamed of and more, or was it... <laughs> <laughs> it was it was something, man?
2: It was it it was a great learning experience, to be honest. Um, and uh, the team, honestly, was full of
0: great people, Jersey um, and Hawksby and all these guys. Um, they really were
2: amazing guys. I just think, you know, the association wasn't going in the right direction. And, and jumping into a place that you're dealing with bigger, faster, stronger guys, the IQ of the game was crazy. How much more you need. About the game and, and making all that jump uh, was a lot, and uh, it was you know we obviously didn't have the season we wanted as a team, and I wasn't doing amazing as a player either, um, and uh, end up leaving um, and getting picked up by Buff, uh, which I ended up working out a little bit. But uh, I think I only got one game in with Buff too, but um, I ended up meeting some more guys, and they had a pretty strong team. And meeting Priolo and. And uh, you know, Burner was there, he was in my draft class and stuff like that and there. Um, so it was it was good, it ended up working out, you know, I ended up going to you New know, England after that, but um, where I ended up kinda of finding my first home. But it was, you know, you take something away from every experience and there's no ill will to anybody, but I just you could kind
1: of see where the association was going and and uh, got out of there a little bit. Yeah. I mean, that's what happens with pro, right? Once you get to the pro level, things sometimes don't work out. You end up different places and you ended up in new England for your second season. Uh, from what you've told me, it was a hell of an experience and you enjoyed it very much. Uh, what was that like making that transition to a team? You developed yourself into an everyday player after your first year. Um, obviously, you know, you got to play with Callum Crawford, you know, who obviously has been big with you. Uh, so talk about that year with New England and uh, how special it was for you.
2: Yeah, it was really, it was
1: really awesome. The whole team,
2: again, everyone says that, that your team's special On everyone's the camaraderie and whatnot, but it truly was like, I, I, I think that team has a, has an amazing group of guys and a lot of guys were kind of in the same position, young and hungry and, and learning, but they still had that core group behind us that we were able to find some success and, And uh, it was just, it was just a 360 from where I was before with the direction and the attitude of the team. So it was just, it was nice to be there. And uh, uh, with that group of guys, it
1: was just, it was awesome. Uh, Then the off season comes around and you were part of a pretty big trade that happened. Uh, Jordan Durston was selected by the riptide ends up getting traded for you and miles Jones. Uh, What was your reaction to first hearing the trade? And, uh, We'll, yeah, I guess we'll start from there, coming to an expansion
0: franchise.
2: Yeah, first reaction was uh, that SportsCenter clip that I was on the bad end of was going to be all over Twitter again, and it was. Uh, with Dirty making a uh, one-on-one save uh, on me on a breakaway, and Thurston is not a goalie. Let's just put that out there. Um, so that was, a, that was the first reaction. Then after that, honestly, it was it, I was a little bummed, again, leaving um, New England I was really truly happy there, and they, they had a great group, and I, I was excited to go on year two with them. But I was also excited for another opportunity in New York, and I think with an expansion team, you have uh, even more o- uh, opportunities ahead of you. So uh, I just try to make the most of it, and it ended up being awesome. Another another good locker room, and uh, um,
1: that to meet Miles Jones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you and Miles had a little. Uh... You basically covered him every time you played yeah, in college, yeah, too, right? I, I covered him for four
2: years. He he's you know he did some damage against me, but I got him. I got the final laugh. So, uh, yeah, season career, or career points in a single game was put up against me. And then drawing him for the first uh, game of the tournament again, but we ended up beating him that time and uh, that
1: was his last college game. So, that uh, one's so
2: pretty good. Uh,
1: what are your expectations? Obviously now, you know, you got, I was fortunate enough be drafted by New York. We got to play together, which I think, honestly, although we're Ottawa guys, I think that was truly the first time we've played together, um, knowing each other since we were young. Uh, what are kind of now, you know, a few more Ottawa guys. Finley was just, re- Nick Finley was recently traded to us. Obviously, the big news of Calum Crawford signing with us. Um, what are kind of your expectations going forward with uh, our squad and uh, and you personally, as a, you developed into a, a uh, veteran role now in the league. And Badur. And Badur. Sorry, Carter. Um Badur. Uh, yeah, no, I'm excited.
2: I'm super pumped. I'm super pumped for the team. We've made some moves um, in the offseason that I think just, just makes us a little bit more solid from front end to back end um and again i might be in my fourth year but by no means is my spot locked. so i got to go in there I'm flying around and, and starting to get back to what i was doing like scoring a little bit transition and just being comfortable with where i am on defense now i think i've concentrated on that the last two years so you now just let it flow and let it let it work for me and i think as a team with everybody kind of jelling a year uh, we should all be able to do that we'll all just be able to flow and go out and play and and not worry about every single little detail. And I know that's important, but do that before the game, once you're out on the field, just play. So I th- I'm looking forward to that with this group that, hey, we've got a little bit more experience, we've got a little bit more chem, now we can just get out there and battle. And that's what I'm looking forward to.
0: Yeah, it's definitely exciting, and it's. I think that's five Gloucester Griffins alumni with uh, New York Riptide. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool for the Ottawa area lacrosse, and especially Gloucester minor and lacrosse association. Ottawa's team. Yeah, the Ottawa Riptide. <laughs> um, uh, one thing, I can say is you guys are players, but uh, if I was a younger guy on the team, I think I'd be bringing Rogaine for your coaching staff because they're all bald like me. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Laddie, Jonesy, and Krause. They're all beauties. And- It's gonna be a shiny bench. Yeah, yeah. The new Mr. Clean, that you guys should be sponsored by Mr. Clean. So <laughs> we're, we're, we're gonna jump leagues here. We're gonna go into your MLL career. Um, you were undrafted. Uh, you had a very good NCAA career. Um, being undrafted did that kind of motivate you to uh, to kind of work on your game and uh kind of give a uh, give you some fuel uh or fire light a fire under you
2: yeah to be honest I, I I always wanted to play but concentration was with the NLL and if that ended up happening it, it was awesome and if it didn't it didn't um and I was I just I just remember reading stuff online and it was like you know they were putting me up there in the top whatever to get drafted and then it was just like but too many question marks, like five, eight from Canada. And I'm like, well, if that's a reasoning, then like they're probably not even going to import guys from Canada to play. So um, it wasn't really disappointing. But it, once I got the chance to play, uh, it was definitely motivating, knowing that I was playing against guys who did get selected and and were chosen to be there and I was just kind of walking into tryouts and, and uh, Ty Thompson actually hooked me up with getting a tryout with Dallas when I was living at in Oklahoma so uh, that ended up working out making a team and whatnot and it, was, it was a ton of fun and I, I'm looking forward to doing it every year here on out with uh, the Hammerheads because um, uh, it, it really is a lot of fun and competing is competing right against the
1: top guys out there so um, yeah that's pretty awesome. Speak of Dallas, talk about that experience playing in Dallas. I mean, I'm pretty sure you guys played in uh, the Cowboys practice facility, right? Yeah, we were at the, at the Star, uh, A really nice spot. Um, the fans actually did
2: come out and got some pretty good uh, attendance uh, at those games. But uh, it was nice just being able to drive to games. It was like a three-and-a-half-hour commute for me, so I'd drive down and play and go back. And it felt more like a, a true home game, instead of even you when know, in they allowed
1: me to travel fly to everything you do so uh it was really nice kind of being local uh obviously the mlo made some moves before this season uh a lot of the teams that were located outside of the east coast were relocated to the east coast um and that include your dallas team uh ended up moving to connecticut hammerheads i know you weren't available for the tournament uh played this year uh but what were your thoughts looking at this team? I know we watched a bunch of their games and uh, what were your thoughts about the team and what are your uh, hopes and expectations going forward, being able to be a part of that?
2: Yeah. I I mean, obviously if you look at our, like the defense from that squad, that was like the biggest change from the year before with Dallas. I think we had three guys end up going to the Chrome and they all started on the Chrome. Um, So that was the biggest hole. And, but the, the group was basically the same for the most part. And, uh, There's pesky. You know, last year we started off slow and ended up making a little bit of a run, and, and that's kind of what they end up doing uh, this year too, uh, out in their little bubble tournament. So um, I don't know. I'm confident with the group, and, and we just need to not drop
1: a couple games at the start and hit our stride a little earlier. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. So now, obviously, you are living in Oklahoma. No, it's been about two years. Um, talk about how you ended up getting here and uh, we'll get into impulse after that yeah
2: Croft, uh got someone reached out to Croft through a friend of a friend a of friend of someone who was here connected them with uh, Cal and uh, he obviously is very adventurous and eager to do anything with the game and and you know better himself and better across communities and once he, he had this opportunity he reached out and said hey would you even be interested And uh, at first and and whatnot, and I was just graduating college at that point, and I think I was a, a year out, and I didn't have really any plans, so I was all for it. Um, any time I get to make kind of a living off of off of this game and, and get to be around this game 24-7 and say it's a privilege, so uh, I said yes,
1: and I uh, ended up making the trip and the move down to big old Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, you guys ended up starting a program, uh, Impulse Lacrosse, uh, what was it like? Cause I know Callum had experience. Callum started Ottawa Capitals with my dad in Ottawa. Again, taking a non-hotbed region and trying to turn them into you know that team where you're sending kids to school and everything. You guys are just starting out. You're in year two here with Impulse in Oklahoma. Uh, what's it been like trying to convert the Sooner State, a football state, into uh, a regional hotbed for lacrosse? Uh, it's been it's been you know
2: fun and challenging on on the same it's you know we have athletes down here we have Fareq athletes down here that are, are can you know run jump whatever with the best of them um, but it's the stick and and honestly it, it's just encouraging you um, x's and o's and things like that in practice you can catch them if they're, if they're willing to learn if you run the right practices and if you concentrate on the right things those things will come but it's truly getting them to understand that that kind of connection with your stick and just always having it around leaving one in each room so no matter where you are you can pick one up and cradle while you're brushing your teeth and things like that just that connection with the stick is is removed because in a football state you know it's hands ball and it's just it's so natural for a lot of guys, whereas in lacrosse, is obviously, you know, it's so unnatural to anything else you do. Um, so you have to kind of live with that stick. And that's kind of what we've been preaching to a lot of our players, because once those hands catch up and once once everyone's
1: connection with their stick kind of gets on par with everybody else, uh, everyone should watch out. Because we have horses down here, absolute horses. I guess that kind of goes into my next question of what gets you the most excited thinking about the future of Oklahoma lacrosse? um i'm just you know excited
2: to see these kids succeed in something that i don't think a lot of them um thought was going to be possible you know we, we have some guys reaching some pretty crazy heights right now and with school and we're only in year two so uh the youngest groups that we're working with right all the way down to that, i think fifth grade i'm just so excited to see kind of where they develop and they get a full kind of life or minor career with um you know encouragement and and i don't want to say proper coaching but but because I don't want to slight anybody that was here before, but, but coaching and guiding them in the right way to have that success on the end, tail end of their career. So I'm just super excited to see where they can go with it. A lot of guys, obviously, if they're not the biggest, strongest, fastest player uh, in not only their high school, but in their region, then they don't think they have a career in sports because football is just not it for them. Um, and it kind of opens those doors for you know everybody. Um, so I'm super excited to see these kids kind of just succeed and move on and do do great things.
1: All right, let's hear it. name some players that you're excited to see from the area at the next level or in the future that you think are could. Uh, I know it's hard. You well, know a bunch of kids. Yeah, we got a ton of
2: kids. So sorry, boys, if you hear this and I don't want to shout you out, but um, I'll, I'll just throw out one special name because he is already committed, and we have some guys going out this year. But he's a 21, so I still have him for another season. Um, but he's committed to University of Albany. Uh, his name is Trey Collins. He's he's like six three, he runs like a four five or four four something, and he's his change of direction. He's honestly to Pat Spencer. His lacrosse is nowhere near that yet, but to Pat Spencer, as in the build, the change of direction, the speed, the, the aggressiveness, all that is on par. And that's what I'm excited to see. These guys that will go from you know being top football players in the state. You know, successful lacrosse. And then when they're at school, they are forced to play lacrosse
0: every single day. And his growth from day
2: one on campus to, you know, his last day when he leaves Albany is going to be greater than anybody else who goes to that school. So um, people like that with that natural gift and ability, I'm I'm just looking forward to seeing where his ceiling lies once he gets down there with Coach Mark.
0: Yeah, no, certainly, and it's uh, definitely exciting, and I think lacrosse is definitely uh, the game of the future in the United States uh, with the way everything's going now in 2020, so uh, it's definitely exciting to see, and uh, I'm sure you guys are all very excited to see how well your young guys develop over the years, so we're going to get into our Play Until the Whistle segment here. Um, You grew up around a lot of lacrosse, Ryan. Um, I'm going to ask you, who is your favorite referee growing up and why? Um uh, I'll just say I would say garrison.
2: I'll say garrison because you can't think of any. uh, (laughs) to, To be honest, I was over here freaking out. Like I don't know a single ref name. Like I don't I was never really close with them, but honestly I refed and I believe I was the only ref to get a complaint the entire year and I got two of them. I was not good at it, and it just it tells me how hard it is. So I truly do feel for the refs, and I do appreciate what they do. Uh, And I say Garrison for the fact that he's probably the ref I remember the most from my first day in lacrosse. And he's committed so long to the sport, and he's not the one getting you know the limelight and the accolades and all this attention like the you know the superstars of the game are. But he's been doing it and helping us be able to do it for so long. So that commitment to, you know, the refereeing and, and whatnot, is just, is is pretty cool. So uh, I'll shut up him for uh,
1: all he's done for so long. I'll also just say, Ian, I was joking there, by the way, I think you're a fantastic ref. Um, But honestly, again, what Ian, Ian coaches high school lacrosse, like he does so much for the game. Um, He was my referee in chief back when I started refereeing. Um, I think we've probably both had him since we were about eight or nine. Like He's always been a ref that we've seen been around. So um, I'm glad you could think of
0: someone. <laughs> yeah, Ryan, you made a good point there. You said he's helped us as players out a lot. And uh, I kind of love how you said that. And I mean, without refs, we don't have a game. So the last question I'll ask you is, what do you think we could do as players to kind of help limit the abuse towards the officials in the game of lacrosse?
2: I just think know your role, right? Like everybody's got a job out there. Coaches are there to coach. You're there to play and the rest are there to ref. So uh, I'm talking about both ends here because I know in the heat of the game, it's not as easy just to just to kind of shut your mouth and walk away. But um, to know your roles, and I put it a lot on the coaches, um, because if a coach is going crazy and yelling and getting his guys all riled up, obviously the guys are going to do that as well. But if you run a strip bench and you, you put your team in line the, the way you want to conduct it, then they shouldn't be – Talking the refs in the middle of the game and stuff. So it's just know your roles, know your job is to play the game as a player, know as a coach, your job is to manage those players. Uh, and then that makes the experience for the ref and his job easier. If he's not worrying about making every single perfect call, he's not going to hear it from, from everybody else else um, then he's going to be doing a better job. So uh, that'd be my advice is just, Hey, you're not all there to call the games, the guys in the stripes are, and, and just kind of let them do it, do their thing. And, uh, without all that harassment
0: you know they're they're gonna do a better job yeah exactly and I think letting the refs be the officials of the game and kind of letting the players do their job I think that we each have our own jobs to do on the floor and on the field so uh, I think that's a great point again so Ryan we appreciate you coming on here talking with us Um, wish you the best luck this year in your upcoming NLL season Uh, everything with impulse lacrosse and your future ML lacrosse career as well so uh, it's exciting to see you doing so well and especially the growth of the game, the auto air, and you were a huge part of that. So uh, thanks again for coming on and talking to us.
1: Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Thanks, Torpedo.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Sticks and Picks Lacrosse Podcast presented by Lacrosse Unlimited. Don't forget to check out their website at lacrosseunlimited.com for all your lacrosse needs. A big thank you to True Lacrosse for their continued support in growing the game of lacrosse through our podcast. True Lacrosse provides lacrosse athletes with top-of-the-line equipment and sticks in today's game. Follow us on our social media pages on Twitter and Instagram at SticksPicksLacks and on Facebook at SticksAndPicksLacrosse for more lacrosse content, future episode releases, and some awesome lacrosse giveaways. We are currently giving away another True Comp SF 4.0 Shaft. Head over to our Instagram page for more details. Every Thursday night, you can watch Major Series Lacrosse Games on Facebook for free and you can also enter the 50-50 contest to win some cash.